I think at the end, it's about you. What you want to do, how you create value for your team, for your clients, um, and, and, and what that means for your business strategy. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Tobias, a very more welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me. You are the co-founder and partner at Web Republic, a leading Swiss digital marketing agency. And before we talk about how you actually built and set up the company, we want to go back in time. You did your bachelor's and master's at the University of Zurich and studied communication, history, and also linguistics. And if I'm not mistaken, your master's thesis was called Online Advertising, the Stepchild of Media Agencies. And that was well over 10 years ago. So I'm just curious, what were your hypotheses in, in your thesis, basically? <laughs> Well, um, I think it's a very interesting question, and uh, I think you're one of the first uh, people to actually also ask me about this uh, <laughs> this piece of work. Um, as you said, it's uh, it's now more than a decade old. Um, but I think looking back, it's really an interesting point in time, and and also it proved to be some kind of blueprint for us as an agency. And what I tried to do with that um, is because digital marketing at that time, so that was like around 2008, 2009, was really something that um, worked quite well in other countries, but didn't in, in, in Switzerland. So budgets were really low. I think we had like less than 1% digital media spent in Switzerland. And my question was, why is this the case? Why is Switzerland so behind other countries? Because like it's a global web and consumers are moving like online all the time, but there seem to have been some some like factors in the Swiss market that prohibited this uh, more agile um, adoption of these new channels. So, um, and also I worked at an, an, uh, like a big advertising agency uh, during that time, and also um, worked at Google previously. Also worked together with uh, with, with Tom, uh, the the founder of the Web Republic, and um, I think there was really something in this market to be like uncovered. And yes, that, that was the case. So I was just looking at the gatekeepers of media investments, uh, which were um, the big media agencies, and tried to understand um, how are their decisions shaping this market and, and what's like working against and um, that, well, a faster market adoption. So that was uh, basically my question. Nice. And, and what were your findings? Like those big gatekeepers, did they just want to save their margins and were afraid of the online business or... Why were they acting the way that they that they did back in the past? So it's like different factors working together at that time. And, and one of the factors was, yes, the business model. Um, and that was one of the big, big um, factors. So the business model was agencies um, selling the services based on a percentage of media spend. Um, and that means basically if you're if you're managing like a multi-million TV campaign, um, that I mean that takes some work, but it's it's really easy to be done with a with a certain like um, three, four, five percent of, of of that spend for your agency fee. But digital spends were really low, so um, like a typical campaign during that time would like see like ten thousand Swiss francs per month, and there was maybe a bigger campaign. Um, so you would rarely see large investments, and and then like this model. 4% of media spend doesn't really work with uh, very low media fees. And in in that regard, the, the big network agencies really were not incentivized to like spend too much time um, on those on those new channels. So it was really like something they couldn't wrap their head around it. And also then, of course, let's, and this is kind of like one thing leads to the other. If you don't have time uh, because you don't get money uh, to do it, uh, you don't have um, the resources to actually staff people on those uh, campaigns. Um, and if you don't have people or trained people to actually work on those campaigns, you have poor results. And those poor results then um, got taken back to the, uh, to the to the advertisers. And and like there was like the proof point: see, it doesn't work. Digital doesn't work. But the case was just like that. Um, the business model um, kind of like didn't work in, in, in their favor. And I think that's one, one of the big things. And, but also other uh, factors. So like trust, um, I think there was a lot of uh, a lack of trust in the industry. 
because they didn't know how it works. Um, there were like no industry events. There was no celebration of, of, of what would uh, work. Um, so no benchmarking. Uh, I mean, you had this in the traditional marketing and uh, advertising field. So you have like Conlion, uh, Audit, Say Awards, etc. But you didn't have this in, in, in the digital field. Many of these uh, things, of course, have changed over time. And it's and you see these factors really um, playing out and, and like shifting the whole um, market forward. But during that time, it really was like... Um, the major factors were like the business model, um, a lot of people who didn't understand it. So also like a generational topic um, and the, the whole trust issue because you didn't know what to make of this. And, and there was no like um, an, like a, a sign of trust that would uh, guarantee you that this agency or this channel would actually do. Got it. And I also wonder where did your original interest in the online advertising actually come from? Because... You were doing your studies. You had a pretty broad field of different studies that you did, basically. So I wonder, why did you then decide to actually write your thesis about online advertising specifically? Well, uh, thanks for the question. <laughs> really uh, forces me to reflect on my own, own life uh, uh, choices. Um, I think when I started out um, media science at the University of Zurich, um, I wasn't particularly interested in, in the advertising field. I think it's, I mean, it's something cool. Of course, all, everybody loves those lectures, um, but I was really more into this kind of like topic. How does um, the media shape an, um, a society? What's what's the media's role in society? How, how, do, how do democracies work um, for like how do democracies work and, and what's the role of the media um, to have like, well, a society to, that, that can make decisions and, and, and like organize themselves. It's a very, uh, very, I think, question that we can also ask ourselves today um, with everything happening uh, around social media and of course uh, um, Trump's legacy that we're now looking at. Um, but that was like the thing that really got me um, hooked to, the, to media science. Um, the other thing was like just the internet. So I, I was like blogging uh, in the very, very early days. So I had my own blog, I think around 2002. Um, it was way more complicated uh, before Facebook. Always had like my own website. Um, I published uh, music reviews. So I was like um, a DJ during that time and really like uh, wrote my own um, uh, were reviews of records that I, uh, that I adored. And yeah, always also tried out like how can I monetize attention on those websites, um, and kind of like was, was self-taught in in this in this field. And then um, I think it was two thousand seven. Um, I just returned from from the UK. Um, I just saw this shop advertisement at Google Zurich, um, and I thought that would be that would be really cool. That would be just uh, uh, one thing that uh, that would like really suit me well and uh, it would be really interesting for me and I was lucky enough to actually really also got that internship get to know Tom uh, and then really from there um, combining this like personal interest uh, and, and like scientific interest also with actual hands-on business um, insights and I think in a way also I was really lucky because it was like the time when digital really took off and we found something to really um, make this work and make an impact. Right. Yeah. Talking about that fateful summer of 2007, where you got your internship at Google, I think it was as a sales planner. So I just yes. wonder, how was it to, to work at Google back in these days, you know, in the offices in Zurich? Because that must have been still a very, you know, special and cool feeling, I guess, because Google was back then not as big as it is today here in Zurich. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was really cool. And if, if you just come like from the university life, you get there, I think Google... 2007 we were still working in apartments so it was no big um, campus as it is today um, I think they were just building uh, one of the new campuses but um, the actual office was in a apartment building so we had like different flats converted into uh, into offices um, but of course it's cool because you know the internet um, and that's I'm thinking and that was like the iPhone was introduced just then. So um, that was like not something that you would actually also work with. Um, so it, it was quite niche, but very international. So 
um, a lot of really cool team uh, um, teammates, uh, people that are really inspiring. So who got your back if you forgot something or also you could like provide to them something if they forgot something. It was really very international. Um, and I think I always remember they had this tool where you could just order takeaway food through their own system. And <laughs> as an intern, that was really cool. Just like order your uh, pizza or Thai food through their own system and then uh, you get an alert uh, via email um, um, well that you can actually pick up the food and, and I think everything really also is like the beginning of like cloud computing again um, so Gmail was still newish most other companies would work with some kind of desktop applications and this seamless way of doing business really like everybody collaborates uh, you don't have silly uh, folder structures anymore and, and that kind of like really felt for me to be at the right time at the right place and that was really something that I, I think I didn't find anywhere else yeah those little things that make a big difference that you just described I think that's just fascinating to to go a bit back in time and actually at your internship at Google that's also where you met your co-founder Tom Hannon and he was actually your boss so how did the idea to start your own company with your boss at Google come up um <laughs> that's also a good question right i mean tom was managing the agency business for switzerland in his uh, like uh, like last position at google um and he saw that there's a lot of potential so that agencies really don't work to um like towards the interest of, of the clients but actually really like um navigate their own interests in in this space and um my idea was actually to go back to Google because I did this internship at, at Google in, in, in Tom's team. Always, uh, like we stayed in contact. Also, um, Tom really, like, was really um, helpful and, 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 like, helped me to, like, find new positions during my studies. Uh, so that was really cool. Um, and I also, like, got back to the team to, like, inform them about the findings of my master thesis, etc. So we, we were, like, close in contact. And then I was finishing um, my studies. And then actually I thought, now I come back, uh, I can go back to Google, to the, like the holy land, uh, the land of my dreams, uh, find the coolest job there and be happy ever, ever after. But things turn out quite different um, because there was something um, that you might remember. It's the financial crisis hitting hard in 2009. Um, Google stopped hiring as, uh, as many companies did. And also myself and many of my my co-students um, were like panicking. Will we ever find a job? Uh, so everybody started applying like crazy. I got turned out down like three times uh, for jobs that I'm now super happy that uh, it didn't work out. And actually what, uh, what happened then, I, I think I was just like returning from one of the exams, uh, exhausted. Tom called uh, and, and just like asked if uh, I would be interested in like having a coffee with him and I said, yes, but first I need to go home, take a shower, sleep, <laughs> and then I'll be back. And well, then we met uh, and, and, and he told me his uh, like story about um, what his plans are. And I first thought, no, I don't, I don't want to found a company. I, I actually want to go back and, and, and work at Google. Um, but then on, on, on second, uh, like I think after sleeping a bit more, I found out, no, this is actually, it's, it's much more interesting. It's much more an opportunity to really make impact. And if you're young, I think I was like around 27-ish. Yes, uh, that would be per, uh, right. Um, it's, it's a good time to do something like that. So, um, and yes, that was it. Very humble beginnings. Uh, uh, I think really starting to like write emails back and forth what could be the name of this company what could we do starting uh, i mean tom has an, an amazing network of, of clients and who really also trusted him um with his uh, like advice and that's then how we got started so really um, my job was like actually doing those campaigns and tom was really like running around like crazy um and and just like getting those leads on board. And uh, that, that was like, that was the beginning of the Web Republic. So, so basically a similar setup as in any tech startup, you were the guy building the product or delivering the product and Tom was the guy selling the product, the perfect combination to get started basically. Yes, the, uh, the, the classic uh, hunter harvester. Setup. Exactly. And I just wonder, you know, you said like going back to Google was appealing, of course, due to the financial crisis that was way more tricky or even not possible, but 
what then gave the the impact where you then said, okay, I really take the leap and start my own company. What were the reasons or the, the thoughts that you had in mind back then that really made you confident to to make that that jump and start your own company? I think it had a lot to do with uh, like Tom's personality and also my own interest in like doing my own thing. So I always had like my own uh, student newspaper uh, when I was already an, in, in primary school. I, I I set up websites as a as a as a as a student. I always like was kind of entrepreneurial um, in, in trying to like do things and and kick off things. And that for me really and still today I think it's 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 really cool to work in this industry, but also building something that actually works and provides to be useful and, and provides to be like something that other people value and appreciate. That's really cool. And to see this like flourish and, and really being part of somebody else's life. I mean, we now have uh, 200 employees at Web Republic and this idea uh, really shapes um, many, many stories and is uh, like a big part of, of other people's life. And, and I think that's also like one of Tom's uh, big goals and, and ambitions that when you look back, maybe in 50 years, that you still think this is one of the craziest rides that we've had. And there was a very, very nice time that we had together at Web Republic. So it's not just about the money. It's not just about really like doing the things, but really also doing something good with, with that time and, and, and being like a valuable part of, uh, of, of the, the ecosystem we're in. Right. And that's certainly very motivating. And if, if you think back then in 2009, you actually founded WebRepublic as a company. What made you two believe that your digital marketing agency would top all the rest or would be significantly different to what has already been out there in the market? It's like another good, good question. I think we, we just started out. I mean, I, I knew that. So we had this blueprint. I mean, we, we had Tom's really in-depth uh, uh, knowledge about um, the client side and about their desires. And we had my blueprint about what's not working with the other agencies. Um, and from there, I think we, it just took off. I mean, what we did, and, and I think that was the, the, the cool thing back then, right? Because the budgets were so small, we could do things. We didn't have to check in with management of our clients. Uh, so you would just like... Um, play around basically with uh, those uh, budgets. You would actually prove that there's value uh, behind those campaigns. And once this machine kicks into gear, once that you um, generate more revenue, substantially more revenue than um, the advertiser invests, this attracts more revenue. It just attracts uh, like more attention, um, bigger budgets, uh, more trust. And I think we really tried hard to not let the clients down. So that and that's still the goal really to like work as is this, as if this budget is like our budget and we take this very person. I think that that approach really was something that was not usual in, in this industry, that you would really like work hard, that you would like prove that this works. And again, then also that that was pretty newish so there was some companies already doing uh, performance marketing we were certainly not the first ones um but we were i think really trying hard to to prove everybody that this was uh, good and we didn't want to grow i mean we didn't want to like become the agency that we're now um tom actually lost um at least two bets uh on on the way where we're now uh, and also has now a tattoo a really crappy tattoo on his uh, arm uh because he once promised that we will never be more than 30 people so yes um i think it we really kind of like adapted uh, while we went uh, uh along this journey sorry but i gotta ask what does the tattoo say on his arm it's just a star it's the very public star but okay. uh, uh he got he, he promised to do that but he never did so uh, some people from the team got together and uh, when he got back from a t uh, trip uh, to South Africa, um, they kind of like kidnapped him and, and brought this uh, um, <laughs> tattoo artist into the office. And uh, there was a lot of screaming um, involved. And he now has a, um, we call it the SpongeBob <laughs> star tattoo. <laughs> and yes. That's the way it ask, goes if you take the wrong bets. Exactly. Yes, but he did it. I mean, that's that's the cool thing, right? So he did it, and um, he's now a bit more careful in, uh, in in promising things. 
Yep, I understand. And you know, also where we, you mentioned the financial financial crisis that hit in two thousand and nine, where you well, probably some of the companies that you potentially worked for significantly must have reduced their budgets due to the uh, effects of the financial crisis on their balance sheets. So I just wonder, you know, when looking back about the timing, maybe the timing is never exactly right, but launching your own company in 2009, that could be seen like, are you completely nuts? This is like in a complete recession, uh, you will never make it. So why was the timing still right despite the financial crisis to start in 2009? Mm-hmm. I think it was actually a factor that played into our cards um, because as you said people were or companies were trying to save money and it was a unique setting because um, performance marketing was new there was the promise to actually measure what you get and you could start very low so you could easily scrap a 200,000 Swiss francs TV campaign and try a 20,000 Swiss francs performance campaign and you would see some results. Um, and I think that combined with this, like we had time on our hands, right? So um, I think <laughs> the early uh, the early clients got the the, the most perfect service uh, there was. Um, and I think that I think the setting was really interesting. And I think for us, really, um, because clients got more cost efficient, um, also wanted to try out new things, and then actually it worked. I think that was a, a very magical um, formula for us. So I think I think without maybe the financial crisis, um, maybe the foundation would have been different. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. You, you also mentioned the, the pure focus on on the customer and not letting the customer down is something that you did differently compared to other agencies. We all know that you know the agency business is really tough. So usually you sell your hours. You need to find for projects and don't automatically generate additional recurring revenue as you would with a software startup, for example. So there's also something that you did differently there. So I just wonder how did you actually solve this challenge and release that constant pressure from your company and your team? Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, coming back to just like the, the, the thesis, we knew that working with a fixed percentage of media wouldn't work because also it incentivized you to, to spend more. So every year you would go back to the client and say, hey, this is cool, but we should do a little bit more because then you earn more, et cetera, et cetera. And um, what we did is, again, quite simple. We just usually worked with uh, retainer fees. So it had like a certain amount of, of, of hours and just sold those retainer fees. Um, and that allowed us to really have like um, very stable monthly revenues. Um, also because performance marketing is not something that you do in waves. So it's not like like the Zalando uh, performance campaign for Q1 and then you have uh, like another one in Q3 and another one for, for Christmas. It's something that's always on, right? You, d- you don't just like switch it on and off, uh, uh, at least not for Google. Um, so those campaigns just run. And as long as there's demand from the clients, you want to be there. So you want to show your ads, you want to make sure people find your website and, and spend their money. So that, that's, uh, that's how it works. And, and basically, again, um, quite different from, from other agency um, areas where you actually do those campaigns. So we now have more of them also, where you like, like have like strategic planning, where you have like uh, more like branding campaigns also that, yeah, that you manage. And those, yes, those come in waves. Uh, we also try to have there like the, the, the always on approach. Um, but basically what allowed us also to grow as a company was um, to have these stable campaigns. So once a client got onboarded, we actually knew um, how much man or uh, woman power we needed to keep this, uh, to keep this going. Nice. I like that innovation in the pure business model that you did there. I think that's a really important part of setting up the right basics, basically, for your company. Another challenge that you also faced was hiring the right people. You said you never wanted to grow bigger than 30 people. Now you are at 200. So that's where tattoos happen in between. And I just wonder, you know, something that you mentioned to me in the prep call was that when you were actually looking for talent to hire people, there was no real education or job for this because it was also pretty early, right? So how do you manage that? Because that's a huge challenge to solve if you don't know how to call or how to find those people. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, one of the things that 
we didn't change over time. So many of the principles that I think um, are core to the Web Republic DNA, we, we did this uh, from day one. So some of like the, the meeting systems we have, um, some of the beliefs uh, that we follow, they were there since uh, since day one when, when we started out. And hiring also, um, because there were no performance marketing universities. There was no course that you could take. So the only thing is really like either self-taught people, um, but sometimes they were really weird <laughs> people. So uh, that was like kind of like something that sometimes w- would work out, sometimes not. And what was easier, and I think that the path that we that that we opted for was um, hiring talent over experience, and that basically means uh, from from the very early days, every time when we looked at candidates, um, we we were really like it was important for us not to just to, like seek out people who, who did this already, but actually write job descriptions for people who are generally interested in online marketing. That was it. And then when somebody like applied, we tried to like find out, uh, is it like an SEO type of person? Is it a, um, a Google ads type of person, etc. But we, because nobody's looking for an SEO internship, at least not in 2009 or 2012, um, but people might have an interest in digital marketing. So they might have some interest in statistics. They might uh, be active with their own blog, etc. something like that. But they have no clue about like how to run um, like a marketing campaign digitally because it wasn't like, it was just something that you wouldn't do. And what we did then was really it's a very simple um, two by two matrix. Um, so one is like your character, what we call the oomph, and it's still one of the big things that that we care about in people. Are you driven? Are do you have like the power to, to do things. Um, so what, what's your passion? So that, that's, that's like one of the big things. And if you, if you don't have the oomph, you, you, you can't train this, right? So this is something that you either have it or you don't. And expertise or skills, you can train. So we'd rather have some, somebody who is really, really like ambitious or really has like the drive to do things and teach them instead of finding somebody who maybe did this for 10 years, but is really lame, uh, not a team player, not fun to hang out with. Um, so, so that's like how we like try to find the right people and really then give them a lot of um, responsibility, train them, work really close. And I think one of the, uh, one of the good examples is when, when we build, out the, uh, build up the, the SEO team, we started out with uh, somebody and, and his Christian is now his, his, his own agency in the advertising space. And I still very much appreciate uh, him as a person. I think it was a, a very, very cool hire back in the days. And he actually came from the hospitality schools. So somebody who knows how to handle client demands and translate them into actions. And he then got uh, the, the opportunity to really also learn about the SEO business. And I think it's it's very important that you know What's the key ingredient to success and in, in, in terms of SEO? The key ingredient is, will the client also adapt the things that you recommend? Because you can, I mean, as an agency, you can do many, many things, but at the end, somebody needs to implement something on the website and, and decide about priorities. So knowing how to talk with clients, how to like pers- um, persuade clients, that was much more important than to actually know what is a canonical tag, uh, what's H1, what does uh, H2 do, etc., etc. So that was, uh, I think, very important um, for us. Absolutely. I just want to go back to the statement that you meant, meant, mentioned before, like hiring for talent over experience. So experience, that's pretty simple to measure, right? You can look at somebody's CV, what education, what work experience do they bring to the table. For the talent part, you just mentioned the oomph, which is important to you and on, on that matrix. But is there anything else about how you can make talent measurable? Anything that you test people for when you have the first interview with them or the first impression? How do you assess whether someone is talented or not? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't get around assessments. So what we do with like people when they are like invited for an interview, they they get some kind of like assessment question or task. So they should like pre- present a test campaign, something like that. And it does basically two things because they need to invest upfront time. 
um, you already know who is like willing to do that, or if they are just like, ah, no, that's that's too much. Uh, that's I don't, I can't do this. I don't have the time. So you already filter out people who are really lazy or maybe a bit complicated. And and, and the second part is you actually see. Um, how they would perform. And again, perfection is not the goal. It's really about what's their approach. How do they process new information? Um, what's their angle? And it's also very valuable for people um, who are applying for a job that they don't know what it is. And many people also said, hey, I was like checking out the learning center, uh, that you, the links that you sent me, and I realized this is not the job that I wanted. And that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to drop out of the process um, while you're actually interviewing with the company, it's much better than if you actually, if we filter out other people and, and start uh, with this person and then after three months, uh, uh, he finds out that this is not, it's much, it's like too technical, it's too much statistics, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, I think it, it has many benefits to actually let people test drive their daily job before they start. And maybe one one like addendum um, to this uh, thing like hiring personality over experience. I think what's changed now in the past two years is um, that we absolutely hire also for experience because like the market has uh, uh, changed. We will still hire for personality. So that's still, I think, one of the, the key ingredients to success. But depending on the role, because there's much more experience available right now. So people have worked in different agencies, have worked on the client side, did research, did studies, etc. Um, and also we as a, as a company have different needs. So um, yes, so we're really lucky to hire like the new head of uh, HR. It's not the first time that she does that. And I think it's really cool for us that we have now, now somebody like her uh, to actually do this. And, and we also like found out that hiring team leaders from the outside is good. Sometimes it's good to hire them from within the team. But we somehow shied away from doing that because we always like were afraid to piss off uh, um, people from the team. But what we found out is that sometimes it's, it's really appreciated by the team to also have somebody as a manager who brings in a new perspective, somebody they can learn from. And for us, this really like, I think this, that was a, a, like a big change for us to really allow ourselves to also hire people from externally. Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. Again, that's nuco.ch slash Swisspreneur. And now, on with the show. Really great tips and takeaways, I think, for all the listeners uh, here. I would also like to talk about opponents and supporters that you met along the way of uh, building up Web Republic. Let's start with the opponents first. So since 2009, there was a, a real boom in the whole digital marketing area. So you probably also have way more competition that you face now in the market. Is there any like main competitor or anything that moved there from the perspective uh, about 11, 12 years ago? Well, let's call them sparing partners. <laughs> okay. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, what has changed is now that uh, the, um, the market landscape is much more complex than it was in, in 2009. Um, in 2009, we were a very focused um, performance agency. So I think the, well, not I think, the only thing that we did was really performance marketing, Google ads. So really kind of like a one trick pony for the first two years. And there were like three, four other um, agencies specialized in that uh, performance um, business. One of them being um, Lucas. I think you've interviewed him uh, in like late 2020 um, and his company it was then called um, Your Position. He's now part of a, a larger network. And he was like kind of like the benchmark. So he was like where we dreamed uh, to be maybe in a very distant uh, uh, point in the future. And, and that was really helpful to also like, like okay, this is how they were, go about and, and really like benchmark yourself and, and kick yourselves 
in the ass if, if it doesn't didn't really work out and, and, and get the inspiration. I think so like a local competitor really helps you to keep fo- the focus and, and, and know like who is better than you. And really uh, also, I mean, sometimes that really hurts because like you're losing in pitches, sometimes you win, um, but you like, there's like this uh, a very healthy competition. But also I think what really helps, especially if you're like digital and in Switzerland is don't just focus on Switzerland, go out really. Um, I think also one of the, the big things that really helped us to take off was um, we would always go to like US conferences. And if you're there as a, like a little Swiss agency and, and you, you're listening to what they did there is like, that was like the biggest kick in the ass that you like can eventually get because it's really like everything that we do here is like beginners level, of course, I'm exaggerating, but um, if you benchmark yourself against like the absolute industry leaders, that's even more motivating than just like local benchmarks. And, and because local benchmarks fight with local clients. And so that, that's like only so far you can get. Uh, and, and I think it always helps to like read um, international blogs, read international like industry news and be present in interna- international conferences. And I think that's something that really was uh, quite um, imp- important for us as a, as a, as a young company. Um, as I said, things have changed uh, over the uh, 10, 12 years. And one of the things now is that, that this, the whole marketing space is more cluttered than ever. So there's no like, well, the boundaries between the different uh, service levels uh, and, and service um, descriptions are not that clear anymore. So you have like big networks, you have performance niches, you have display marketing, you have like overall consulting. So there's many, many, many different um, shades of, of marketing providers right now. Um, and that means also we don't have like one competitor anymore, but we have actually a set of like different competitors and, and, and sparing partners where we like benchmarks ourselves. And I think the, and the last thing here from like from an entrepreneurial perspective is also don't focus too much on your competitors because at the end it's, it's about you. It's about what you bring to the table for your clients. Um, and you can get, I mean, you can lose yourself by tracking what everybody does and, and, and where they are and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, I think at the end, it's about you, what you want to do, how you create value for your team, for your clients, um, and, and, and what that means for your business strategy. And I think that's, um, well, don't get lost in uh, competitor analysis because um, you need to do things, right? It's, I mean, at the end of the day, you can read up on everything, uh, but at the end of the day, it's about what you actually put into practice uh, after you have done that research. And yeah, I think it's more about really doing the things and not just like reading it. I love that. Execution is the key. I think uh, one more time, a, a really good reminder here. And what you actually also did, if we then look, you know, switch from opponents to supporters, you actually, sometimes your opponents can also become your supporters or your competitors, uh, maybe. So that's probably what happened with Wirtz, where you with WebRepublic and Wirtz have informally joined forces. So I just wonder, why did you decide to, to take that step? Yeah, um, has a lot to do with with that um, that shakeup in in the marketing industry overall. Because um, generally, I wouldn't say, and also I think Wirtz wouldn't say that we are a competitor, right? So from the outside, yes, we're two agencies competing for uh, marketing Swiss francs. But basically, we're really when you look at at, at the business. Um, of those two agencies were quite different, right? Um, and we don't have that much of an overlap maybe as other agencies. So um, Wirtz is really positioned in, in the branding and communications field. They have their own brand relations uh, team, the communication and, and like this, this, this strategy part of them is really like, uh, that's a benchmark I think for, for, for the Swiss market. Also they're around since many, many years and really have proven to be one of the leading brands in, in the Swiss communication market. Um, they're not that big and, and, and like um, they're not that experienced in the digital field where we are not that experienced in, in like this creative um, creative platforms, et cetera, communication strategies field. So it was kind of like we really like 
it matched from from a service level perspective and we weren't really uh, um, competitors but what has changed of course is <clears throat> that many agencies around us have like been like acquired or like like merged or like like really moved in together um so there was this kind of like more integrated um, perspective towards marketing services and, and service provisioning um and on the other hand i think it's also you need to combine it because if if, if you really want to have like an impact um we're now in a in a post digital age, right? It's it's not anymore about oh I have some digital clients and then I have some uh, non digital customers. No one buying a sofa uh, in in a furniture store will not have been on the website, maybe one percent. But there's no such thing as a not digitally influenced um, purchase uh, journey. But also, um, you can only get so far with just like the pure digital disciplines so we need to understand like how to entertain how to like create value for the customers we need to like understand how how do we build brands and yes you can do it only with digital channels but it's it's much smarter to do it in, in an integrated fashion um so this partnership bob best of both where like virts and web republic join forces in a very unique way has a lot to do with um acknowledging each other as driving forces in one part of the of the market we're in and also opening up to each other so it has a lot to do with respect with uh, um, this like you know something that we don't and in the past we made a lot of jokes about creative uh, uh, agencies and i think also creative agencies make a lot of jokes around about um the like the data-driven companies and, and how they lack soul and are like technocrats and the cool thing right now is because we we bring those teams together is it allows us to really like just work together it's not we don't need to fight off against uh, each other anymore we can actually work together and also celebrate our unique perspective and, and what we bring to the table and for me personally uh it's one of the like the, the coolest things to do right now to really like um open up uh, uh, to that and, and really like understand that there's much more than, than you actually understand about your own job. Nice. That's for sure a great setup. At the same time, both companies are still legally independent. So I wonder why didn't you decide to like formally merge the companies or that one company acquires the other one? <laughs> um, we'll try to do something again unique um, because if everybody's just like merging and acquiring and just like something <laughs> doesn't feel right. So I think we were on the quest to, to like do something, but do it differently. Um, and that has always been like one of uh, part of our DNA. And I think also in, in, in Wirtz's uh, DNA. And the goal here really is because both agencies again are well positioned. So, um, Wirtz is well-positioned, we are well-positioned, and we believe that the things we do work well because of the teams and the culture behind those teams that we have. And if we now would like acquire Wirtz or if Wirtz uh, would be to acquire Web Republic, it means that one of the cultures would need to like adapt to the other ones. And I think because we are um, very like nicely positioned in our markets, Due to the, uh, the the cultures of those companies, the unique cultures, um, I think that's a very dangerous path uh, to do, especially if you're not like forced to actually do that, because both agencies are actually doing really well um, at the moment, and I think it's it's very interesting, uh, very interesting time for us to do that. But still, there's a need for change, right? And I think now this this setup where we say we work together in a, in an open setup. I mean, there's of course there's some exclusivity attached to that. Um, we are not dating with other uh, creative agencies right now. Um, but it just means we can do this as a team. And, and the way I put it usually is when you do things like that, you can either spend a lot of time with lawyers and uh, consultants and um, map out many, many cool slides uh, regarding the USP and the value creation, etc. Um, and then present it to the team and then you merge. And I think the idea here is really to do this together with the team, like, like lay out a very open plan 
and then give the people the opportunity to actually be part of that. So they don't need to do it. I mean, everybody needs to do it a bit, a little bit. But the idea really is that we like find out what's working now together with the teams. Um, and not everything works perfectly fine, but also I think there's a, a very cool momentum that we've been generating. So the like the spirit between the two teams now, five months in, is is amazing. And it's, it's really cool to see like what's possible when you do this openly, transparently with your team. And it's not just about, hey guys, we just sold half of our company and here's your, your new owner, Sia. Um, that's like another story. And for us, and, and also like Wirtz is independently managed, uh, owner, owner managed, and also is Web Republic. Um, I think that's a unique setup. And, and it's also something where we can like use that power to actually build something that is again, unique in Switzerland and is now providing like the largest set of communication services to the to the market. Today's episode was sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. They have something for everyone. From business to web development to art and productivity, Skillshare can help you take the next step in your learning journey. Personally, We've been loving Thomas Frank's Productivity Masterclass. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com Swisspreneur. The first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of the Skillshare Premium Membership. Again, that's Skillshare.com Swisspreneur. Enjoy the show! I just have a follow-up question on the market on that regard because you mentioned Lukas Stuber before, who joined a larger network. Um, one could even argue that although you don't like didn't merge, but unofficially joined forces to to work together, um, that there is sort of a certain trend to to a tendency to these mega agencies. So, do you think that in Switzerland the landscape will be unbeatable mega companies where everybody will merge and there will be a lot of M and A activities? Or do you think that market disruption will always find a way and also leave room for smaller agencies? Mm. I think it's tough to be in the middle. I think it's really be it's really tough if you're like 50, 80 per, uh, uh, people agency in the middle. That's going to be really tough. But um, on one hand, you see this need for integrated services because again, um, digital is so prominent and it's now like um, more and more like also taking like the lead seat. So most of the budgets are like allocated to like digital topics that means clients can usually like they cannot like afford to work with five six different specialized agencies and and, and they they need this um like somebody who really breaks down the complexity um of the market and i think that really also means that that there's a lot of like space for integrated services um also because it's not just many, many different services, but also like all these services require in-depth knowledge and experience. And if there's just like two or three people doing performance marketing in your agency, that means you're not really good at this because this person would need to be a specialist in TikTok, uh, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google Ads, Bing Ads, um, you name it, Google Analytics, uh, programmatic uh, landscapes, Adobe. So all of these things. So in our case, we have like dedicated teams with multiple people just for one single specialized um, service uh, like that we that we that we work with. And if you don't have this, it's getting really difficult to like stay on top of that uh, on, on, on that of, of that game. But on the other hand, I think there's a lot of room for I think mid-sized clients um, because they they will not they will not need. Bob, right, uh, for their um, like uh, KMU interest. And, and I think there's, but all they also will need really cutting edge digital marketing experience. So I think there's a lot of room for like smaller specialized local agencies and then champions within smaller segments of the market. So if you're the best video agency, if you're the best like um, influence marketing agency, I think that's a very nice spot to be in, but there will be less like smallish uh, um, agencies who will compete in that space. And, and yes, 
but then I mean then there's the international market again, completely different story there. Also competing with like the the big consultancies who are like increasingly present but coming from a completely different angle. Um, and again here, I mean th the question is then in, in which market do you want to compete? So what is your what is your market? And yes, so not every client will be your ideal target client um, and you need to find out like uh, where can you actually create value and, and also is that value appreciated um, and then work like towards that set of, uh, of, of clients. Yeah, think about your playing field basically where you want to get active. So now we're talking about supporters and when we talk about supporters there's usually also uh, a big support that you don't really notice in the spotlight uh, from the outside, but that is not of less importance. I'm talking about your family here. So your dad also worked in advertising. So I'm sure that he also supported you in, in many ways along the journey. But then, of course, you also have a family yourself. Uh, your spouse is also a very important part in that regard. So in, in what way does your family, from your dad to your spouse, actually support you along the journey of building such a company as Web Republic? Well, from the very first day, right? I mean, you, you, you like have somebody when you like actually talk about like opportunities that you have, if, if you have also like a, like an interested person who like is there as a sparing partner again. So, so like you would like discuss um, opportunities you would discuss uh, maybe a, like an angle that you would take with like somebody from the team or like a, like a tough discussion that you would have with a client um, and I think the, the cool thing at least in my case it's really that it's it's a very honest um, support so it's not just like complete blind fandom <laughs> absolutely not but this way, I can really also count on on, on that perspective, and and I think one of the things really like the like the the content of, of that like support, and the other thing is, I mean, it takes a lot of time to do that, and especially now uh, since we have uh, two kids, also that basically means um, there's not that much time left in the day, and, and and for me also that is that is one of the the things like you need to do this as a family, and it's also very nice to just just like switch off the entrepreneur person uh, once in a while and just like be there with the family and have this like other aspect in your life where you where you see like yeah well you see more on the like on a personal level what's actually happening uh, because the business i mean at the end is i i love what i do but it's also sometimes a bit it's the same like there's another client there's another exciting project there's another deadline that i'm uh, nearly missing um there's the next year there's the next next budget um and I think it's very healthy not, not to completely get overwhelmed by that uh, and have somebody on your side uh, that reminds you from time to time that there's like an actual life, um, that there are other people and there's other things than just like digital marketing. Um, so I think that's really healthy to like be in this together, um, but also supporting those decisions that, uh, that, that you take. Because I mean, at the end of the day, um, it has an impact on, on her as well, right? So that job has a lot of impact on the whole family, um, very good impact, but also, I mean, um, a lot of stress uh, and like times that I'm not available. Right. But actually talking about time, you know, that is a scarce resource, basically, probably the most important resource we all have. You're also very active outside of Web Republic as a board member, but also as a lecturer at several universities. And I just wonder, you know, on everything that you have on your agenda, why are you also doing uh, these things? Because they also consume an extra amount of your time. Um, yes, uh, but I think, again, we're not alone in this ecosystem, right? So um, when, when we set out on this journey, I think it was really interesting to also like talk with people within the industry, um, get inspired by other people. And I always looked up to people who are like able to break down complexities and make something accessible. And, and, and for me, it's kind of like something that I also always aspire to so that you can uh, like explain things that, that you actually do and help people to like do that. And some, well, and, and it actually also forces you to stay up to date. So if you're like lecturing digital marketing, um, one thing that is for granted is you cannot take last year's slide. 
just doesn't work because the interface looks different. There's new uh, platforms emerging and everything is like uh, changing so fast. You, you really need to like um, be on top of your game. And for me, it kind of like forces me to have an, a, an, an ear on the market and understand how our client needs shifting um, and what's keeping everybody on their toes. And, and, and for me, this is really something where I can create value and have like another kind of like because I'm much more I'm I'm not involved in all client mandates anymore at Web Republic, but I still want to know what's happening right on uh, on on the on the general side and this outside view. I think this especially if, if you think about like um, company strategy. I think it's very important that you have a source of outside uh, inspiration that you force yourself to be out there. I think that's very important. Um, and by the way, also like think think about um, supporters that you mentioned before. Um, clients are amazing supporters. Um, so I still have uh, so some of the clients that uh, are with us since like day one um, became friends, and and you still like have a, an exchange with them. And and I think really this like going beyond the business tra- transaction, really like caring for each other, supporting each other. I think that's that's very important. And and I think that. Also, I think for me, it really differentiates that from just another job that you really do something. And I mean, and, and that's what I think is also really cool with those like advisory boards that you discuss ideas together with other people. And sometimes one idea would stuck and really transform into something much, much bigger. And you can participate by that. And that's, I think that's where you can like create value, but you don't need to do everything <laughs> on your own, but actually really inspire people to do something and, and, and get another perspective on something. Nice. I, I really like that message of highlighting the importance of being part of the ecosystem to then get outside input to be a better leader or founder for your own company. I think that's a very strong message to take home here. So if we look back to 2020, uh, despite the COVID pandemic, it was a successful year for WebRepublic. You already mentioned you now employ more than 200 people. You have also been nominated as or for the Advertiser of the Year Award. So we just wonder what's next for the digital magician, uh, as you have also been called by other people. <laughs> um, it might surprise you. It's just like doing the things that we've started in uh, 2020. I think that's in that's the the big big plan. Um, as you mentioned, um, we're now parting up with uh, with Wirtz. This is not something you do overnight. Um, so we really plan to work really, really hard on that. Um, we actually uh, like the Wirtz partnership, but also our um, our addition of the service into like, the classical media. That's also something we did last year. So we had uh, two major initiatives, um, major strategic initiatives that we did during this pandemic year. Um, and they've just only started. So uh, we really need to like work on them, make it, make sure that everybody in the team understands it, that the market understands it. Um, and that really motivates me because I think we've started some, some really, really cool um, vectors for, for the future of the company. And also like the long-term vision of us is that we, that we are a benchmark of how to do business in the, in, in the advertising industry. Um, we're well on, on that, uh, we're well underway on that journey, but we're not there. Um, so I think some kind of like, like a German way to say that is like, um, Kraft in der Ruhe. So, uh, we don't need a, a new, um, magic trick every year. Um, 2021 will be about, um, really delivering on the promises, uh, that we, um, put out there last year and make sure that we, that we implement them the right way. I love your focus on on the execution. I think that's so important that many people forget. In in that regard, you even mentioned a a German quote to me on the prep call. I tried to translate it to English, but it really stuck with me when he said it, that we are often knowledge giants, but execution dwarfs. And for me, this is so interesting to, and also really strong message in there, focus on the execution. You don't always need the shiny new thing or the big new plan make sure that if you have a home run in place that you actually bring it home and don't start a new home run in between and don't finish it. Yep, absolutely. Because again, you can like, and by the way, that's attributed to David Bossard from uh, the GDI, uh, die Wissensgiganten und Umsetzungszwerge. And there's so much truth in there. um, Because again, you can like 
always run around and, and, and like inform yourself about what, what there is. Now, um, I think you should all be busy with like your clubhouse strategy. But how about your email CRM activation? Is it ready? How about the, the page speed of your website? How about integrating your partnership landscape in a more like structured way? So really making sure that uh, what has major impact on, on, your, on your company, that this works, like knowledge management within your own company, very important topic. Um, managing team spirit, very important topic. So not just like trying to like, be busy all the time, but really understanding also like um, what has an impact. And I think uh, I mean, we're only 12 years old, right? So I can only speak for, 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 from my own perspective and experience, but um, it takes more time um, to get from idea to implementation. And that might be frustrating for you as a founder uh, when in the first days you could just like have an idea, run around in the office and a week later it's, it's all done and implemented, kind of. Um, that's also sometimes very frustrating to, to actually see that this, you need this like different rounds, you need to listen to people, you need to like adjust your idea. But once it kicks in and once you get to this implementation phase, it's really cool to see 200 people running in the same direction or at least like 180, <laughs> maybe <laughs> to be really realistic. Um, and there's a certain magic behind that um, to understand like you can do maybe less things but they will have more impact. I think there's no better way to end the formal question part of that interview. We do have two parts left for you. And the first one is about personal resources and gadgets that you can recommend. So is there anything out there that you can recommend to our listeners that you yourself use on a regular basis or that you liked reading or listening or watching to? Um, I think one little thing, I'm a big, big fan of Todoist, this uh, to-do app. Um, and also I'm a big fan of not changing your to-do task management tool all too often. Um, so don't keep busy. Don't like uh, distract yourself with being more efficient, but I think really finding your own tool, like how do you keep track of all the different macro, micro, uh, et cetera, tasks. For me, that there's no better way than uh, to do this. But again, it's just like one of the simple hacks. So everything that I think about just like lands on this list then I can like go through it. Awesome. Also schedule emails, schedule emails. Maybe that's uh, another magic trick. Um, don't answer right away. Sometimes it's really cool to just like um, let that email send, uh, send it one day later, just like take out some of the stress um, to, to really like reflect on things and, and yeah. Don't fuel uh, the, the always-on email inbox monsters. Good point. And for the very last part, we prepared some rapid-fire questions for you. Either I give nice. you a selection or a, a short question that you can answer in one to two sentences. Are you ready? Yes, shoot. So the first one, investor money or bootstrapping? Bootstrapping. That's a clear choice Super for your easy. setup. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what email client do you use? Uh, we run the, the Google Cloud. Perfect. And where do you go to think? <laughs> Is that a home office uh, uh, Corona situation question or not? Maybe you can say both depending yeah. on your setup. Because, uh, yeah. Um, honest question, honest answer in normal times, um, I try to really find um, like time and space uh, to work remotely once or twice a week uh, so nobody can like disturb me um, to really think about like the long-term things but it's also very important uh, to not um, be the bottleneck for your team so if there's any question just like get the answer out there and, and, and rather be quick than uh, too lazy yep a delicate balance to strike for yep. how many hours do you usually work per day Poor, I don't know. Um, I used to work more, I think, in the very early days of every public. Uh, now try to, like, I don't know, nine to ten. Really depends. Really depends. But uh, to be also again, really honest, uh, I love my family, and I think it's very important that I'm not the only one doing the things, so that we have like a healthy balance in, in the company, and I try to like, also involve other people in in the things that I do. 
it used really used to be more, but I think now it's maybe nine to ten. So that then that's a good trend, I would say. It's decreasing. Yep, a lot of work. <laughs> and how much sleep do you get on average? Oh, that that doesn't depend on the company. That basically depends on the family situation again. Um, let's say six to seven hours. Perfect. And if you have to make a choice... No, no, you need to ask about uh, the breaks. So it's not just about the amount of hours. It's like, <laughs> how fragmented yes. are those six hours? <laughs> yeah, that has an immense uh, impact on the quality of rest and sleep. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> so if you have to choose between Facebook or Google Ads, what would you go for? I would go for Google Ads. Uh, not just because I worked at Google previously, but um, the data layers and um, privacy like the privacy behind that uh, is much more stable so I love Facebook for for what they've um, created not everything about Facebook but um, if you're like a medium-sized company very powerful but for the rapid fire question um, much more stable much more reliable I would opt for the Google Ads but basically I mean it's about it's about the goal of your campaign so true Yep. Would you say that Facebook is more for branding or traffic and Google more for really converting? Yes. Yeah. I mean, Facebook is like a newspaper with very uh, like personal news. Um, so it's push and uh, Google is the classic uh, pull channel. Yep. And the last one for you today, Switzerland or the United States? Well, that's uh, uh, very easy now. <laughs> um, I love Switzerland. Uh, it's a very nice company, uh, very nice uh, country. But again, um, I think for businesses, it's always interesting to like keep an eye on, on the United States, whatever shape they're in. Um, but for now, really, I think super happy to be here. Awesome. Tobias, thank you so much for taking the time and also for walking us through the impressive journey of Web Republic. It was a pleasure talking to you and we wish you and the whole team, the more than 200 people now, uh, all the best and lots of success for the future. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your questions. It was a really interesting uh, session with you. Now that you've finished listening to the episode, why not top it off with a quick rating on Apple Podcasts? It's one of the best things you can do to help us reach more entrepreneurs just like you.